This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you for coming. 10.15. So for now, I want to meet Hashem every Tuesday night. We would like to start at um, at 10 o'clock, Mitzvah Hashem. I really have turned away a lot of speaking engagements on Tuesday nights. I feel it was pretty unfair the last three months that I, that I wasn't here. Because this year has been going on for 17 years. Longer than Ornava. So, um, very important that we keep, that we keep it up. Okay. So, I'm gonna, this week's Pasha's Noach. I'm not gonna speak about the drinking whole thing that I've spoken all the years on Pasha's Noach. Um, cause that's already on tape. We have that. I wanna go back a little bit to, um, to Pasha's Beratius and a little bit, um, I guess current events in my life. So, the Torah, I, I gave a share actually in, um, in seminary on, on Monday. Lamais, I have to tell you something that really, um, the decline in the world and the decline in the Jewish world has, in the last year, has been so great. Um, you know, I used to be dealing with kids, um, I deal mostly with kids from, from families, that's what I do. You know, that we're drugging, and I've been talking about, you know, kids on drugs for a long time, and what was drugging? Marijuana. They were smoking pot. And then, about two years ago, it started to go into pills and Oxycontin and all these other things which are really horrifying. Um, a lot of deaths last year. A lot of people died, specifically on Oxy. But, for some reason, um, it has gone now, at least in the streets of Brooklyn, for sure, to heroin, which is mind-boggling. I'm, I came back from the mountains. I'm, I'm here two days. I came back Sunday night, so tonight's Tuesday night. So it's two days that I'm here. I met two girls from from families. One's 20, one's 17, and they're both shooting heroin. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what are you saying? Like, heroin? You're shooting heroin? And they're like, yeah. And my friends are too. And you know that's that's a drug that um, that people die from because it's the hardest drug of all drugs to 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 rehab to get rid of to you know so it's just like it's just like there's nothing anymore that's sacred nothing there's just nothing whether it's physical relationships with boys and girls or drugging or money or cheating or just everyone's just doing whatever they feel like and and um, the whole world is just coming down, coming down, coming down I'm, I'm not looking to get a million you know, emails and be posted all over um, Facebook but you know, as the, uh, the, the sins and the, the morality of the world drops, right it affects everything, so yeah, it affects the Jewish world, it affects the whole world so where you had kids smoking marijuana <laughs> five years ago, ten years ago today it's it's oxy and it's heroin and it's just crazy stuff. It's it's e and it's it's, it's meth and it's like I'm like I knew that stuff because I took a course when I started dealing with kids. I took a course in drugs and, and, and you get 14 year old girls talking about meth and coke and I snorted and then I crushed it and I'm like what? Like, you're a tenth grader. You're a ninth grader. I'm only talking about girls. Boys also same thing. The streets of Brooklyn and 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 the phone doesn't start ringing. It's like. It just doesn't start ringing. My, my kids this and my kids that, and everyone's off to Derek. And, and uh, just today, I had I, I dealt with a from kid, a from girl who, 
who's very honest and she's like, you know, she looks for him, she acts for him, she's learning in a from school and she's going through all the motions and she's like, and she said, very often I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. I'm figuring it's boys, I don't know, whatever. And, and she's like, no, it's not boys and I'm not doing drugs. I, I don't believe in Hashem. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're, you're in seminary, you're, you go to class, you're in advanced learning seminary. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes like, I don't believe any of this. And what I hate the most, I'm like, watch. She goes, Gamatrios. Numerical, no, Gamatrios. I'm like, why would you hate Gamatrios? She goes, because I could just see a bunch of rabbis sitting around and like adding up a word and then looking through the whole Torah to find another word that matches it. I'm like, you think rabbis had time to, and why would they pick that word to match that word? I'm like, Gamatria is the proof that this is all true. And she's like, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm like, I'll explain it to you. I, I didn't like math. Okay? I didn't like math because math is logical and I'm emotional. By me, one plus one equals whatever you need it to equal. It doesn't work when you're doing geometry. You know? It doesn't work. It has to equal a certain number. Right? But, but I remember hypothesis where you start off with a, with a math problem, right? And somehow you have to get to that A equals C. Right? And you gotta go through all these charts and graphs, geography, and right, you go through all this thing and at the end of like 10 pages on the region, A equals C. Right? And I'm like, so, do you think that someone sat there and said, you know, let's do something ridiculous and let's make up some numbers and then make these numbers fit into those numbers which will fit into those numbers? I'm like, you, you take math as a subject, it's brilliant, you build buildings, engineering, because if A don't equal C, the whole building is coming down and the bridge has no sense that a span that big is not caving in. So physics is based on math. Right? So I said, so the, the secrets of the Torah, right? The, the secrets of the Torah is that you can have one word and from that word, 20 pages till you get to A equals C. I said, and, and I explained to her, I said that, you know, the whole Torah, Hashem didn't create the world and then create the Torah. The Zayah says the Torah was created, I don't know, 20,000 worlds before ours. I don't know exactly. A long time before ours. And Hashem took the Torah, and the Torah is the blueprint of the whole world. And like when you look at a blueprint, if we look at a blueprint, we're not engineers, right? We look at a blueprint, we just see a dot. Not dot. is a pillar, a steel pillar, right? That is so thick, but on the paper it's just a dot. You look at it, it's just a dot. But when, 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 a, when an architect looks at it, he sees that all these lines, right? All these things. That's an elevator. That's a, I look at it. I don't know. I don't. That's an outlet. You know, that's an outlet. That's where a plug is going. That's where a pipe is running to go. So, so but that's the Torah. The Torah is a is a blueprint. So I said, you really want to know the truth? What you see here in Barashas and even Rashi, Rashi was very big. Don't get me wrong. He's not even telling. He's not telling you nothing. I said, there are, these are the words that the, this Torah is how the whole world is running. It, it looks like a storybook. It's, that's just, that's just not understanding really what it was. And we're not supposed to. We don't have that, the knowledge that, you know, to understand what every word. But if you can see a gematria, it's sort of like you just did a hypothesis in math. And this word ended up, you know, fitting this way. Now, why did she, why did she say this? You know, and at the end of it, she's like, wow, you know, you like opened my eyes. I didn't, you know, I didn't think of like, and she's, you know, she's like, I don't believe in Hashem. I'm like, tell me, tell me, what do you believe in? Like, do you believe this world just happened? Are you that stupid? Is there anything else in this world that you know that just happened? I said, by the way, you know, my car outside, one day I walked outside 
And there it was. And I and 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 people said to me, "We can't be there. It was someone put the car in your driveway, and, and GM built your car." And I'm like, "No, spark plugs happen, the tires happen." I said, "If I told you that, you'd tell me what I want. You're ridiculous. I'm not coming to your class anymore. Something wrong with you, right?" I'm saying that's a car. That's a car. A whole world with winds and tides and the moon and the sun does everything it's supposed to every day it's supposed to the moon does everything it's supposed to and, and a human being's body and, and, and the miles and miles and miles I said by the way you want to talk gematrius are you a little weird that there are 613 mitrius and 365 and 248 and they took a part of human body and that's what they found hello so you think that a rabbi just sat down and said hmm 613 must be that is 248 and 365 in the human being body and, and then the rabbis had to find the human body that had that of course that's what the Kodesh nobody in those days they didn't have the tools to take apart a human body and see every aver and every all the sinews in your body and, 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 and the Gemara talks about the moon and this and that they didn't have telescopes how did they know you, you, you learn Arab and you learn all the different mathematical equations they, they didn't have math teachers so how did they know all that so, I, 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 so why did what happen I'll tell you what it's based on it was based on me saying as Vatara and the director I said that caused this whole discussion was and then by the way at the end of the day of course I went back to like okay now that I you know we talked about the pig and it's the only animal and the fish and it's the only fish and if Hashem put that in the Torah it has to be a creator and it has to be a creator but once there's a creator and he put that in the Torah so you're telling me that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it so one of the proofs that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't write it was why would, Moshe, why would a human being write a Torah to become Famous, right? Right? So, if I was to write a Torah, and I created this Torah, then I would, of course, put in the Torah, by the way, you need to know where I'm buried, so that you can make a, a void desert out of me and a mausoleum, and everyone can come visit millions of people every year, right? The Torah says, and no one will ever know where Moshe is buried. Now, Moshe wrote the Torah. So, if Moshe Rabbeinu, he wrote the Torah from Hashem, if it was really his Torah that he made up, then he would have written, I am buried, and so and so, and you better visit me, you know, and, 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 and build a building and a, and a, and a Gansamaisa. It's not. Right? It's not. So, 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 when I finished speaking to her, I said, okay, let me go back to what I have been preaching all my life, and I have never found myself to be wrong. I don't mind being wrong. Part of another discussion I had over Yantif, pretty, pretty cool thought. Part of being right is sometimes being wrong. Now, what does that mean, right? If I'm wrong, and I realize that I'm wrong, and I admit that I'm wrong, then I'm right, then I'm wrong. You understand what I just said? Mm-hmm. If I make a, a left turn instead of a right turn, and I say, uh-oh, I just made a mistake, I made a left turn instead of a right turn, then I'm right, that I'm wrong. Sort of like... Um, the discussion about the girl who wanted to be different. And she came to my office in the middle of the summer looking like she was going on a skiing trip. She had a knitted hat. I don't even know if I gave you this shirt. I don't even know if I spoke to you guys about it because I was missing most Tuesday nights. This girl came to talk to me. Her mother sent her to talk to me. She walks in in the middle of the summer. It's 85 degrees in Borough Park. She's wearing a knit hat with these woolly socks, the weirdest colors, right? And, of course, she was screaming for attention. And she sits down and she starts talking. She's like, I know, Rabbi Wallerstein, you think I'm very different, don't you? I'm like, nope. She goes, oh, come on. You, you see how I'm, how I dress. I mean, I am different. 
I'm like, no, I don't think you're different. She says, what do you mean you don't think I'm different? She says, you see, you people, you people, you know, like you, wearing a white shirt and a tie, you people are all the same. Some have long beards, some have short beards, some don't have any beards. There's always a black suit where your tits is at, with your white shirt, you're a bunch of robots. This is what I hate about Yiddishkeit, about Judaism. Just all a bunch of robots, you're all the same. I'm an individual. I'm different. Now look what I did to this poor kid. So I looked at her and I said, no, you're not any different, more different than I am. She said, what do you mean? I'm like, you're the same as all the different people. I'm the same as all the guys who wear white shirts. And you're the same of all the people that want to look different. There's a whole group of people out there that say they're different. There's a whole group of them, right? So they're all the same. They're all people who want to be different. And the people who want to be the same, they're also all the same. They all want to be the same. So they're both groups of being the same. I said, you're no different than I am. You're the same as people want to be different. She was never, I was like, she's like, what are you saying? I'm like, think about what I'm saying. At the end, she was like, that was, that was pretty, that was pretty interesting. I don't know what she was on, but whatever. But, but that's the truth. So yeah, so it's, it's sort of like every rule, every rule, right? There's always something that breaks the rule, or it's not a rule, or the rule is not correct. If there's nothing that breaks the rule, then the rule is not correct. And you, then your hypothesis is there, 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 you know, there's something wrong with it. Anyway, Saif Davar, at the end of this discussion, I looked at her and I said, um, I have a rule. And it's, it's, it's part of the problem, and we'll talk a little bit about the problems of what's going on right now. Part of the problems of what's going on right now is I have a rule. Nobody steps out of their environment willingly. So, if you eat chillant and kugel and kishka, and you went to school, and you went to Alephid, and, and, right, and you come from a frum home, and you come from a frum school, and you come from a frum environment, you come from a, a frum city, you don't wake up one morning and say, I don't believe in Hashem. It's never, ever happened to anyone in the world that you just woke up in the morning and said, oh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Hashem. I don't believe in Hashem unless you gave the Torah. Why would you do that? You're, you're in a, in a person's environment is what makes him comfortable. But one of the biggest tests for Avraham Avinu was Hashem said, I'm testing you. You know what the test is? I want you to leave your environment. And, 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 and it was like a huge test. What's such a big test? He told Avraham Avinu, you're going to have a big family and you're going to become famous and you're going to be rich. And I'm going to make you to What kind of test is that? You know, Hashem told him it's going to be amazing. He had no children at the time. Even if I tell you, if you go to Texas, I'm going to build your house, and I'm going to put a new car, Maserati, in your driveway, I'm going to give you a great job, I'm going to find you an unbelievable girl, right? You're a Brooklyn guy. Like, I don't know if I want to go, Rebbe. What are you talking about? You're, you're single, you don't have any, I'm putting money in your bank, I know, but what am I going to do in Texas? I don't know nobody. I don't know the stores. I don't even know the people. Because coming out of a person's environment is one of the hardest things to do. So why would a person... Just get up in the morning and say, I'm an Alaskan, I live in an igloo, I've had it. I'm going to Miami. It doesn't happen. They don't go to Miami. And the people in Miami in the summer when it's 120 degrees, and Alaska's only 40 degrees, they don't go, they go to Alaska and they run a boat to see the ice, and that's it, they go home. We are, human beings are people who like their environment. That's why people live, Hashem did it for a reason. Because otherwise we'd all live in one place. Right? You go to places and you're like, why do people live here? 
right? I was out to, I, I did a lot of traveling because we had 12 Avino Malkanos, right? I don't want to say which places I went to, and I'm like, why do people live here? <laughs> it's like, they're living in barns. The, 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 the houses are like 40 miles away from each other, right? Why would a person want to live alone 40 miles, be busy with cows all day, the, the, the postman, the postman in this place, starts at six o'clock in the morning. Sometimes when it's dark, to deliver the mail for his route, he gets home at six, twelve hours. There are places that between one house and another are forty miles. And I'm like, how could you live? There's no one to talk to, right? And the answer is that's their environment they were born in. So the person who lives on a mountain. Right? And you're trying to figure out why was this person living in a stupid log cabin? Right? I don't understand why people live in Manhattan. Right? My wife loves Manhattan. She's like, I wish we had an apartment in Manhattan. I'm like, are you crazy? Because they have a doorman? You ever go to those apartments in Manhattan that are $5 million? The bathroom is so small. And there's these little teeny tiles. Right? And, and, and the houses are to pay money. What? F- and and it, everything's concrete. There's no flowers, there's no trees, there's buses and trains and sirens and police cars, and these people on the east side and the west side are paying sick money, sick, crazy, not normal money, and all they hear all night is siren, they don't hear it, right? And the heat, I don't know if you've ever been in these apartment buildings, it's like, a whole winter, right? Because once they heat the whole building, they'll heat the whole building, it's not you can turn it off, you can't turn it off. So you're sitting there, and then the windows open, and the whole night is going, from those little caps you know, on, the, on, on the heat, right? And they love it. And they wouldn't change it any. And they're so happy they could go to Central Park for 10 minutes and ride a bicycle. And I'm like, right? So at least in Brooklyn, I have a little bit of grass and I have a driveway. They don't have driveways, right? And then the people in Muncie are like, what is wrong with you people? How could you live in Brooklyn? How do you live in Brooklyn? They got rats, they got sewers, Avenue J, buses and noise and it's filthy, it is filthy, right, the streets are filthy go to Munchie, there's nothing on the streets, nobody lives on the streets you get an acre of land, you have a pool in the backyard, you have a two car garage here, you're on the wrong side, you have a ticket this day, and you're on the wrong side, you have a ticket the next day and they're like, oh my god how do you people, and you're, and you're spending three million dollars for a house, and in Munchie for, for five hundred thousand dollars you get ten bedrooms and six bathrooms and a lawn, and it, what's wrong with you? My environment. I grew up in Brooklyn, or I grew up in I grew up in Muncie. I'm not interested in going to Brooklyn. The Brooklyn are people. When I got married, I'm a Muncie boy. Okay, so when I got married, my wife lived on 50th Street and New Utrecht, under the trains. Okay, go to Sherman Shabbos, right? I would go to her house and like I'd be talking to her and like every three minutes it's like okay, I'll, I'll finish my sentence. We'll wait, we'll wait till the train goes by, right? And the whole house would shake. Okay, that's where she grew up. I grew up in Muncie. So, her cousins and her aunts and everything, she made a deal with me. You come to, you live in Borough Park. I, I hated you. I lived, in, I learned to mirror yeshiva. I hated the city. First of all, my dorm room was on Ocean Parkway. So a whole night it was, a whole night it was sirens. Right? So, to, so, I'm like, okay, five years in Brooklyn, then we moved to Montsea. I cut the lawn with a lawn, you know, a driving lawnmower. It smelled from cut grass. I did the, I did our, our, our flowers and our bushes and, and I, I was like, I knew how to do all this stuff, right? And, and I, and I, and I played baseball. I walked down my driveway, my street. Nobody came. I was a dead end. We played baseball on the street, had a pool in the backyard. I was like, I don't like Brooklyn. So I said, okay, but for you, I understand it's a hard move. 
Five years, I'll come to New York, but then we'll move into Manchi. It's 37 years, I'm still living in New York. Okay? <laughs> Don't make any deals with your wife. You, know, it you, you lose, you lose. But anyway, but I have to tell you what happened. So the first Shabbos, I mar- first Shabbos after I married, right? Shabbos, Shabbos was by her. The next Shabbos, we went to Manchi. Right? We went to Manchi. I get up, I, get, I go to sleep. I, you know, Manchi, my window was open. And you had fresh air. It was geschmack. My room, it was geschmack. It was crazy. It was unbelievable. We went sled riding. Who goes sled riding? Who, who New York goes sled riding? You have to go drive 10 hours. I went in my backyard, two houses down, all the way down the street. Fantastic. With turns and curves and through the trees and paths. Right? And, and all those kids, that's what we did. It was, it was amazing. New York, you don't do that, right? So they find a hill somewhere in a park. You have like 1,500 people trying to go down. So, I wake up the next morning, first first week in Muncie, and and she's like, I'm so dead tired, I didn't sleep a whole night. I'm like, you didn't sleep a whole night? It's so quiet, how can you not sleep? She goes, quiet? You didn't hear the crickets a whole night? <laughs> I'm like, you heard the crickets? You live under a train, and you heard the crickets? And the answer was, she heard the train every day, she didn't hear it anymore. I lived in a place where crickets, they can make a lot of noise, but I didn't hear it, because I was used to the crickets. So I didn't hear it. Person doesn't change their environment willingly. Willingly, we don't. Many people would live in Eretz Yisrael because they know it's the right thing. It's very, very hard because it's a different language. It's a different place. It's not where I was brought up. And I'm uncomfortable with changing an environment. So how come you're not uncomfortable with saying, all of a sudden, I don't believe in God. And I don't believe in the Torah. Something's going on. You don't just get up and not believe in God. So, I said to her, okay, now that I've proved everything, and I'm not going to get into all the... Now, talk to me. What's really going on? I'm like, there's only, there's only two reasons to get rid of God that I know of. One, if someone who represents God hurts you, so then how, how could there be a Hashem if this person is a relative or my father or whoever it is that I look up to and he's from and he puts on tillin and he diamonds and he learns and then he hurts me, he does something to me or that hurts me or he steals or I see him doing something really bad. So as a child, as a person, I have this conflict inside of me like if that's the man of God and it can't be a God because look what he just did. So that's girls who go through and guys who go through trauma. The other reason that someone's... And the main, the 80% reason that people get rid of God is for one simple reason. That we as Jews, first of all, we're very famous for having the most guilty conscience in the world. We have a very different religion. In the, in the, in the Christian religion, if you sin, you can go to the priest, you can admit it, you can say three Hail Marys, and you can be forgiven. So, you don't have to live with that guilty conscience for very long. In the Jewish world, you have to do tshuva. It's a gansamaisa. There's another world. It's a whole thing. You can't just go to the rabbi and say, I just stole, I just did something, and say, Hashem echad, Hashem echad, Hashem echad, walk out of the room and everything's fine. That doesn't, our religion doesn't work that way. Why? Because we have a conscience. And a Jewish guilty conscience is, you know, everyone talks about the Jewish guilty conscience. What it is, is the Yetzirah. That's all it is. It's, it, people call it, and they, made, they have all these jokes. He had a lot of jokes. What's his name? Jackie Mason about, about Jewish guilt. Called Jewish guilt. Jewish guilt is not Jewish guilt. Jewish guilt is, is your, is your Yates who doesn't leave you alone when you do something wrong. So now you have this problem because you're doing something wrong. We're very black and white when it comes to wrong and white, right? 
well, I got to get rid of God because I cannot be doing something wrong because I can't live with a guilty conscience. So, so if I'm, if I'm, I have two choices. You have two choices, right? So in this case of this girl, she is doing something wrong. I got to the bottom of it that there are boys and she's doing something wrong. So I said, so, so you have two choices. And your choice is one of two things. If I'm being with boys when I'm not supposed to and I'm supposed to be a firm girl, so I have two choices. Either stop being with boys, right? Which is not what I want to do. I'm a teenager and I, it's very hard for me. Or make being with boys not, nothing wrong with it. Now, the Torah says there's something wrong with being with boys, then I can't just make nothing wrong with it. So I have to get rid of the Torah. Once I get rid of the Torah, that I don't have to go as far as God. Like I said, the Torah is not real and he didn't really give it to us and that's not what it's, and somebody made it up. So now I'm not guilty anymore because I'm, to do, I'm not doing anything wrong. If the book that tells me not to do anything wrong is not really is not true, then I'm not doing anything wrong. So that's the eighty percent reason that we get rid of Hashem and we don't believe in the Torah is because we we have to get rid of being wrong. And by getting rid of God and getting rid of the Torah, we're now not wrong. And so 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 she said to me, "Well, in that case, what do I do?" Because if I believe in God and I believe in the Torah and I'm not stopping the bad things that I'm doing I can't live with myself so so you're telling me to believe in Hashem and believe in the Torah at the same time I'm telling you that I can't stop so what am I supposed to do now so I said to her I get pulled over by a cop um, for speeding in a 55 mile an hour zone I was doing 75 and he pulled me over and I pulled out my rabbi badges I got badges from the precinct pulled it out and he looked at it and he said rabbi a rabbi shouldn't be doing 75 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone he threw back at me threw back at me in other words you're taking out a card and a thing that you're a rabbi so that I shouldn't give you a ticket but if you're a rabbi, why are you breaking the law? Now, I could have gone into a whole thing like, because the law is stupid. Because it's stupid to tell someone my age with a 404 horsepower car that I should go 55 miles an hour. You know, the law is stupid, right? And I could have got, and, and he would have said, really? Good. You're also stupid and here's a ticket. <laughs> what did I say? I said, Officer, you're 100% right. I got to tell you something. I said, it's one of my things. I love fast cars and I love to drive fast. You're 100% right and I shouldn't have done what I did, but I have to admit to you, it's just, you know, I, I, I enjoy driving fast and it's wrong and I'm not telling you that, but that's my thing. And um, he says, well, you just make sure you're more careful and he handed me back my license. So I said to her, you need to tell Hashem the same thing. Instead of saying, what you just said, that, oh, the Torah is stupid, it's a bunch of rules, I don't, you know, like, who made the speed limit 55 miles an hour? What idiot did that? I don't really believe that's the speed limit. Let's go back, you start with them, you're getting five tickets, right? Instead of saying that, say Hashem, the speed limit's 55, I know that you gave the Torah, I know that you exist, and I know that you gave the Torah, and I know I am not supposed to be with boys, I know that, but I like being with boys. And Hashem's going to say, well, like, slow down. Like, you know, here, Rabbi, here's your, here's your license back, but you got to stop speeding. And Hashem will say, well, you got to work on getting better. And as long as they see that you're working on getting better, we have a relationship. But if you're going to start saying, well, I don't believe in the whole Torah, and I don't believe in the whole thing, you can get a big summons in the next world. 
She was like, wow. She says, so I said, you can live with it. It's not, you don't have to get rid of the Torah. Her whole problem was that I can't live with Moshe Emes, with Teirosai Emes, if I'm living this life. And the answer is you could, as long as you're working on it. No one's perfect. There's not a person in this world that didn't do a sin. So I didn't throw the whole Torah out because they're doing a sin. You don't have to throw the whole Torah out because you can't get up for davening. Doesn't mean that davening, you're talking to nobody. No, it means, yes, I am a problem officer. I like driving fast. I'm going to work on myself to, to slow it down. But not to say, like, the law is stupid. The whole thing is stupid. And, and, and sh- that, that's, that, that's how we have to look at it. If we're struggling, doesn't mean that the Torah is not right. And, and we, have, we have to understand that. And where did this whole thing come from? It's very interesting. From my whole discussion with her started today. Because I started my lesson that the, the Torah ends with the word Yisrael, right? We just had a bracha, chas and Torah. It ends with the word Yisrael. The last letter of the Torah is a Lamed. And then we say Chazak, Chazak, Yis, Chazak, right? So the last letter of the Torah is a Lamed, and the first letter of the Torah is a Bez. So that spells Lave, right? Which is a heart. Now, so a girl asked me, well, why, why doesn't it spell Baal? Bez Lamed. And the answer is because, because from Beratius till the Lamed is a huge separation. You have all these words in between. But on Simchas Torah, from the Lamed to the Beis, there's no separation. Chasen Torah ends with the Lamed. Chasen Reishis ends with the Beis. So it's not Lamed, it's not Beis Lamed, because, but there is a Lamed Beis like right next to each other. You end with Lamed, and you start in the beginning. There's nothing in between. So, Lev, it spells Lev, it spells the heart. Now, there's a Machlekes in the Mishnah. In Pirkei, let me, me sit there for a second. Please. You know, uh, one, one of the big speakers asked me, I don't know, when I was, we, we, you know, we went to these 12 different places in three weeks. He said, Rowalstein, I don't understand. I, how do you have so many stories? He's a big storyteller. He's like, I only have a certain amount of stories. You, you give two shirim every week. You have stories. Story. How do you have so many stories? I'm like, when you teach me where, who I teach and you deal with what I deal, you have stories every day. Is, uh, I'm not talking stories of the Vilna Gain. I'm talking stories of, of, that happens every single day in my life. So it's, very easy. There's stories every single day. So there's a mission in Pirkei Elvis. There's, there's two missions we really want to talk about. There's a mission in Pirkei Elvis that says the following. So the rabbi sent out his Talmidim and they said, and he said, could you find for me the best way to live your life? Let's go. Five big Talmidim. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Here we go. Okay. Chamisha Talmidim Hayul Rabbi Yechonah Ben Zakkai, Rabbi Eluhein, Rabbi Lezer Ben Hokanis, Rabbi Shua Ben Chananya, Rabbi Yisrael Akoyim, Rabbi Shimon Ben Nisan, Rabbi Lezer Ben Arach. Right? And he said, he said the following. Amalehem, he said to them, Tzuru Eitu Derech Tavishi Bakbar Adam, Go and find me the what. If I give you one choice to pick in life that's going to be good for you, what should that be? Rabbi Lezer Omer, Ayin Tovah. First, you should have a good eye. What's a good eye? What does that mean? He said, what's the most important thing for you guys? Rabbi Walsh is going to teach you one thing. She teach you to have an eye in type of a good eye. That doesn't mean when someone pitches a ball to you, right? What is a good eye or an eye test? A good eye happens to be very interesting. Good eye is that when you, when you look at someone, or you look at something, you always see the good in it. Now, you would think that we're talking to people 
who are, you know, doing the wrong things, you should have a good eye. The, the, the test and the sign of seeing good in people is much harder when you're, when you're a good person. I was always able to see the good when I was young. One of the things that was, I think, good about me was, no matter how bad a kid was, no matter what a kid, no matter, even in teaching as a Rebbe, I always saw the good in them. I always stood up for the kid who was in trouble as my friends. I always saw the good in the biggest trouble, and, and I always saw the good in it. If you go deep into the psyche of why, because when you're doing something, I'll tell you why. When you're doing something wrong, right, let's say I'm a gambler. Let's say. Once upon a time, I was a gambler, right? I will find, if someone else is gambling, I will find, I will say, you're right, my friends are going to tell me, oh, Rabbi Wallerstein, this guy is a gambler, and I'm going to say, that's right, but he gives a lot of tzedakah. I'm going to find, the, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing, I will find the why, because by finding the good in the guy that's gambling, I'm finding the good in myself. If I'm going to rip him and say, he's a low life, I'm calling myself a low life. So when you're doing something wrong, you always find the good in the other person, because it makes you good. The problem is, when you're doing something, when you, when you become righteous. And I speak to my Rebbe Ragnamuel about this all the time. When, when I got up and spoke anti-movies, right? When I was watching movies, I was saying, it's not so bad. It's a movie. It's dead. It's a, you, there's no correspondence. It's on the screen. I don't, you, know, you can watch movies. not so bad. Because I was watching movies. But the minute I stopped watching movies, I was like, how can you guys watch movies? I mean, that, that is such an unfavor. That is, that is, that, that's going to rip your, your neshama to pieces when you start to grow and you start to come to Minion you all of a sudden can't understand why your friends don't go to Minion I, for 20 years you didn't go to Minion right, you have no problem because that's how it is, any smoker all of a sudden he's like, don't smoke next to me, it stinks <laughs> you're smoking for 30 years, I'm telling you you stink for 30 years, you're like, I don't smell anything all of a sudden now, you can't come to my car don't smoke up my car you were driving a car till 10 weeks ago that, that you, you couldn't breathe in the car. Oh, you stop smoking, you start judging everybody that smokes. I don't understand. It, you can't break your addiction. You're weak. Shut up, you. Right, because you just, right. And, and, it, and it's like that when you grow spiritually. It's like, I don't understand. What's wrong with you? You talk by David, don't you understand? You just stopped talking two weeks ago. Right? So you, when, you're, when you're doing well, it's when you see bad in everybody. When you're doing bad, that's when you see good in everybody. The, the biggest test in the soyon of growing is not to judge other person. I talk to my Rebbe about this all the time. You start to judge everybody. If I could do this, he could do this. And you start to judge everyone. It's, it's the same thing on a diet with girls, right? What was guys? You know, guy goes on a diet, he starts to lose weight. He's like, what are you eating that garbage? You know, all of a sudden he's calling it garbage. Used to be, could you give me some of that? Could, could, you, could you buy me? Can you give me that? No, all of a sudden he's like, what are you eating that garbage? Don't you know it's not good for you? And you're like, just because you lost 40 pounds and, 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 and you look like a skinny guy and now you're not happy anymore, don't tell me it's garbage. You used to eat this stuff day and night. Because if I can do it, then why can't you do it? So, so that the, 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 the test of a good eye is much more when you're doing well. The Yitzhahar of doing well is judging everyone else. That's why I forgot the Baditch of a Rebbe was the best, because he was a holy, holy Rebbe, and he was the biggest tzaddik, and, and no matter what a person did, right, he saw the good in it. It's very hard to see the good in it when you're, when you're doing well. It's very, very hard. 
in money in anything, in, 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 you know, in gambling. I was gambling, gambling, gambling. When I stopped, I told my friends, like, what's wrong with you? Can't you guys stop? Like, don't you realize that this money is going to end up, the casino is going to end up, you're going to lose everything? And they're looking at me like, we tried to stop you for 10 years, now you're giving us musr? Like, yeah, because I stopped. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. That's the biggest sign when a person grows is not to, not to see the bad in others. So the Mishnah is telling us, Ayin Taiva, person has to have a good eye. Okay, Yeshua says like this: At the end of the day, you are who your friends are. So you can have what he's saying is you can have a good eye, and you can be a good guy. But if your friends are bad, in the end, the peer pressure you're going to end up doing bad. So you see a lot of good kids that end up going off, not because they're bad kids, but because they have chaverim that are that are ra. They have a bad friend. So he's saying if you have a good friend, you're going to end up being good. It doesn't mean a good friend. You could have two guys that are murderers and they're best friends. That's not what the mission means. A good friend means a friend that's good. Not a good friend, but a friend that's good. If you have a friend that's good, he's going to schlep you up. So he says, Chavertayv. Okay. Um, Put yourself in a good environment. Go into a fish store, you smell from fish. Go into a, to a store that, that sells perfume. I remember the first time I went to, I think it was Macy's in Manhattan. So I had to go to, to you, you run, you go through the front door. The first place you go through is perfume. Until you get to the men's shop, you have to go through all the perfume. I came on my wife's like, what's going on? Did you buy me perfume? I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, what's going on? She said, what's going on? Why do you smell from perfume? I'm like, I smell from perfume? She goes, yeah. I'm like, well, I went to Macy's. She goes, yeah, of course. Everyone goes to Macy's smells from perfume. Cause when you go through, so, so he says, if you, if you, if, even if you're not good and you're not doing well, you surround yourself in an environment, not just one friend, but an environment of a good shuna, it'll, it'll save you. So that's what he said. Okay, nice. Um, Rav Shimon Rav Shimon said, What's the best thing in life? A person who sees consequence. Bottom line. Haroi Sanelad means who sees the future. Now it's very interesting. I learned it differently. Haroi Sanelad means you realize, you realize that I'm going to do this. There's going to be a consequence. I'm going to do a good consequence and a bad consequence. That's really the way. You, but I learned it differently. Haroi Sanelad. What does Nailad really mean? Nailad is a baby. The one who was born. She says... What, what does that mean? How, what's a good way to live your life? Looking at potential. In other words, you look at a baby. It can't eat. It can't walk. It can't talk. It can't hold something in its hand. It bottom line can only do is go to the bathroom in its diaper and eat. That's all it can do. It can do nothing. It can't do arithmetic. can't write a composition. can't answer a question. Nothing. But if you look at a baby, it can do nothing. And you realize that one day there's going to be a person who's going to walk, who's going to talk, who's going to write, who's going to, who's going to write. You'll be able to do everything that will give you a good life because you'll realize that there's potential. And, and, and what is, what is life? Life is, life is all about potential. That's it. That's why we live. We live for potential. And that's why a lot of kids are drugging and killing themselves and depressed is because if you don't have potential, if you don't have challenges, that's, then you're not a human being. Then you're just a plant or a tree or someone in the zoo. And, and that's not that's not how we're built. We're not built for that. So we get very depressed. It's called boredom, right? Being bored, and that that's because you're a nightlud. Every 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 day there's something new. There's something else being born. There's there, there, you know there's potential. When you when you when when you win the what happens when someone runs a a marathon, and they run 26 miles in five hours. The next time they run the marathon, do they want to run? Do they want to run 26 miles in five hours? No. They want to run 26 miles in four and a half hours. 
Why? Why not just do what you did last time? Because human being, we look at potential. I did that already. Done that. Been there. Don't like to go back to done that, been there. So we, 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 we get to a plateau and we go, and we go further and we go further and we go further. Haroyas Hanoilet, he couldn't walk. He crawled. He rolled over first. Then he crawled. Then he stood. Then he walked. Then he ran. That's, that's, that's a human being. Animals are born running, stepping, standing. They don't need that. That's, we're potential. And, and the, the biggest tragedy of life is not, I told my girls yesterday, the biggest tragedy in life is not not reaching your potential. A lot of people don't reach your potential. It's not tragedy. The biggest tragedy in life is not thinking you have potential. Because not thinking you have potential means you're not thinking you have life. Not reaching your potential. Okay, so I have life, but I didn't get everything out of my life. Who gets everything out of their life? Not everybody reaches their potential. Okay, it's, it's not the end of the day. But not to believe you have potential is not to believe that you're human. Because human beings based on potential, and that's what he's saying. Life is about seeing that there's a that there's a future. Okay, so you have good friends, good eyes, good neighborhood, consequence. And the fifth one was no. I'm a good heart. Person who has a good heart. What does that mean? You took a cardiogram. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a good heart? And that was really what my whole share was to these girls. And this is where, and so, so he said, the Rebbe said, no, the Misa, I see that, the one that was right, the student that came back with the right answer was Rebbe Lazar who says, Leif Tov. Why? Because if a person has a good heart, he has good friends. If a person has a good heart, he has a good eye. Person has a good heart, lives with good people. Person has a good heart, doesn't want to hurt anybody. So he always looks at consequence. He said, his answer has all the other answers. The other answers don't have his answer in it. Very beautiful. Okay, life type. If you take the word lave, right, which is the last letter and the first letter in Boratius, and then you count. Lave is how much? 32. And you count 32 words, okay? From the beginning of the Torah, 32 words. Bereshish is one, Baro, Elohim, Es, Hashemayim, Ve'es, Ha'aretz, Va'aretz, Ha'isa, Sayu. Is that 10? That was 10, right? Uvahu, V'choshech, Al, Penei, Sahom, V'ruach, Elohim, Rachefes, Al, Penei. That's another 10. Hamayim, Vayomer, Elohim, Yehi, Ar, Vayehi, Ar. Vayar Elokim S at thirty, Ha'ar thirty one, Ki thirty two. What's the thirty third word? Tov. So leave Tov. If you take the last letter and the first letter and then count thirty two, you come to what 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 Rebbe said that the whole Torah, from the whole Torah, the Sabrach Abaration, the whole Torah, the whole world, the whole thing is based on leave and the thirty third word, which is Tov. And that's when she freaked out. Ah! Come on, Priya! Who sat there and figured it out? I'm like, who could sit there and figure it out? Like, who would think, Lave? Let's count 32 words? Toe? I mean, you can't, this has to be, it has to be, it has to be Ruch HaKodesh. So then we got into this whole discussion about what does, what does that mean? What does, what does Lave Toe mean? What, what does it mean to have a good heart? So, what it means, probably, Leif Tov, is 
Right? We know the heart loves. The, the expression of heart is, right? Love is, is in a person's heart. And that's why any love is represented by, by hearts. Right? It's represented by hearts. So we, so I asked the class, so girls tell me, what's love? What's that word mean? For some reason, I don't know why, in the Jewish world, in the very, in our firm world, it's a, I'm not going to say a dirty word, but it's a nerdy, it's a word that's not used. In fact, in fact, um, and I'm not going to, I'm not fighting with any rabbis about this, but, um, it's not allowed in many, it's not allowed in many, many from boys will, will not write that word on a card to their kawa until after they're married. Even when they're engaged, they're not allowed to write, not allowed to write the word, word love. For some reason the word love has this meaning of something not kosher. So surely not before they're married, you know, before they're married they're not allowed to use that word. I have a problem with it. And I'll tell you my problem that I have with it. Dealing with kids and, 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 and for Baruch Hashem as long as I have been and, and parents and families and relationships. One of the biggest complaints that I get from dysfunctional relationships, families, is that the children will say that my mother or father never said they love me. I get that all the time. And when I go back to the parents and I'm like, what do you expect? Your kid is 18 years old and you never said I love you. They're, they all say the same thing. She knows I love her. I'm like, did you ever say it? No, but she knows I love her. How does she know? What do you mean? I take care of her. I'm like, so why wouldn't you say I love you? In other words, you're not saying it. Not even by accident. So, because it, there's this thing about, you know, I use that word. I don't know why. And I'm like, let me teach, and I told this to the girls, and, I, and, and anyone who wants to talk to me about this, I'm glad to talk to them about this. There's a, there's a, there's a thing that we say in Shema twice a day, right? And it's a very hard thing to understand. Shema, right? We all say this. By the way, I saw something really nice, and I think now every time I say Shema, it's something new that I saw over, over the Yantif, that where did this whole thing, Shema Yisrael Hashem, Lekin Hashem, start from? Where does this come from? Anyone know where this comes from? What was the first time this was said? What was the first time Shema Yisrael was said? By the Shvatim. But when Yaakov, when Yaakov was dying, he said, how do I know that you're not going to go and serve Avodah Zarah and go back to what the way... And they, Shema Yisrael, all the kids said, Shema Yisrael, his name was Yaakov and Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, listen, listen Yisrael, they're talking to their father. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God, Hashem Echad, he's always going to be the only one. I didn't know that. So now when I say it, I'm thinking... Like saying it to Yaakov Avinu, Shema Yisrael, listen, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. That's where that's where I just saw this. That's where that's where it comes from. But anyway, how do you explain this? Shema Yisrael, we all say this. Right? You should love Hashem with all your heart. You can't tell me what to love. Love is an emotion. Love is a feeling. You, you can't tell someone to have a feeling. You, you, I can't, you can't tell me love this soda. You're walking. I want you to love this soda. If I, you can't tell me. So, so how does Hashem? Ask us to, to love him. You can't give me a commandment like that. You can say, I hope in the end our relationship will end up that you'll love me. Well, you, how can you command me to, to have an emotion for you? Ever think about that? And a lot of people don't love Hashem. So, so it's, it's, it's genius. It's beautiful. Hashem has a right to say that you should love me. How, what, where does that right come from? 
Because before he asks anyone in this room or any Jew to love him, he expresses his love to us. If I express my love to you, then I could want you to say you love me too. If you tell your mother I love you, then if she she does the right thing, she'll say I love you too because if you love me, that automatically I'm going, I'm going to have a feeling for you. Unless you're abusing me, I'm going to have a good, right? Look at Shachris. Baruch Hashem. Forget about all the Ava Rabba stuff. I'm not even going to go into that. Right before you say Kriyashma, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Habocher Ba'am Yisrael Ba'ava. Blessed are you Hashem who chose us for one thing. Not Yira, not anything else. You chose us because you love us. And you know where Shem Shem Pinkus and Hashem fell in love with us in Mitzrayim on that night. It was a moment, right? An unbelievable moment. And he talks about this all the time, right? So before you say Kriyashma in the morning, we make a bracha, bless you Hashem, who chose us with love. Now Hashem's like, if I chose you with love, and I love you, I'm asking you to love me back. But if Hashem doesn't tell me that He loves me, He can't ask me to say I love Him back. I can't have a relationship. It's not a relationship. It can't be from one person. Okay, you can say, Ray Wallstein, well, I don't know if that's a raya. I'm not sure that's a raya. All right, so we'll go to Myriv tonight. Hashem asks us another Kriyashma. There's two Kriyashma today. Jurchiv, right? Kriyashma in the morning, Kriyashma at night. I'm talking Kriyashma Alamita. Okay. So at night, what do we say? Right before we say Shema Yisrael. Baruch Atah Hashem. Bless you Hashem. Ohev Amo Yisrael. Who loves his nation Yisrael. Now, blessed, right? Blessed is Hashem who loves us. Now Hashem's like, how about loving me back? Kriyashma doesn't come first and the bracha after. First Hashem says, I love you. Then he has a right to ask us. So I tell parents, if you don't tell your kid you love them, where do you have a right to ask them? Maduch Hashem, who could ask us anything. Right? He doesn't have to tell us he loves us. He could say, I'm God, I created you, I gave you the whole world, you need to love me. I give you life every morning. He says, no. Hashem says, no. I'm not asking you that until I tell you I love you. After that, I'm going to ask you that. Surely if Hashem feels that he, has, that he has to first say he loves us, and then we're going to say we love him, a human being? You expect your kid to love you if you don't tell them that you love them? Well, what do you mean? They know I love us. So, so what do you have to say to the bracha? No, Hashem loves me. He, he, I woke up this morning. No. No. And that Mishnah that I taught you during the, during the summer, Chibi Yisera, that Mishnah says three times, Chibi Yisera, an extra love, because Hashem tells you that he loves you. So I don't know why this word is is like people feel it's not fun to tell your kids that you love or to tell your wife that you love her. It's 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 it's, it's Torah. But the word ahava is is have comes from the word have comes from the word to give. It's the basis of the word. The basis of the word is is is, is to give. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know where it comes from. I, I can understand them until you get engaged. It's not a word you should use, because first of all, what does that mean, you know? So then we got into the whole thing with the girls of what does love mean? That's some peculiar ideas of what it means, but what does it really mean? What does it really mean? What does it mean to love somebody? What does it really mean? It's a, it's a cheap word to say. In other words, telling a kid that you love them and then not, sh- not, not following up on it, is, is worse than not telling them than, than, than being a good parent and not saying I love you is better than saying I love you and being a bad parent I love you is not just a bunch of words it's, it's, it's giving time like we spoke about and it, but, but you also we, we, our koyach is dibur we're not animals our koyach is to speak 
So that's one of the things that, that, that we talk about Ava all the time. So, so we got into this whole discussion. And this whole discussion came from Lev Tov. What does that mean? Lev Tov, to have a good heart. It means to, 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 what does that mean to love? So, I said the following, I've spoken about this many times, but I'm, I'm going to take it up a step. I'm going to take it up a step. So to love somebody means to commit, to commit to that person. Okay, that's real love. Not, not, you know, that's, that's the real thing, to commit. And, and, um, I said something that blew him away. And I said, just for all the people that, that are not Shemenegia, right? Or whatever their thoughts are, that you should know that halachically, halachically, the first time that a boy can touch a girl in his life, and you know, not his mother, of course, but any other girl, including his sister, by the way, if you look up, if you, people don't realize this, but this is a halacha, very clear halacha in Shulchan Aruch, that a brother and sister are not allowed to kiss each other. And oh boy, did I get smacked when I, I, I spoke about this in, a few years ago in seminary. And they went crazy and I took it out. And, and not only that, but the Shulchan Aruch uses a crazy lashon. The Shulchan Aruch says that a person who, who, who thinks it's okay is a fool. And Shulchan Aruch never talks like that. So no, you can't kiss your aunt and you can't kiss your sister. And I used to kiss my sister until I went to Allah. And now after the wedding and her kids are married and I'm very close to her, I will not give her a kiss. My brother's the one who told me, it's Allah that the only people that you're allowed to kiss is your mother and your father. That's it. Nobody else. That's a halakh and shukhna. It's not a feeling. It's not a, it's not a chumrah. It's not, what? Grandmother's a little different, maybe. It doesn't, it doesn't talk about a grandparent. What? Father, daughter. I said, I said, that, that's allowed, right. Father, you know, it's parent, child, child, parent. It's fine, no problem. But not an aunt, not an uncle, not a brother. Brother, sisters, and all that. It's an he, he, I'll, I'll learn, I'll, next week I'll, t- I'll open it, and I'll learn with you, because I know a lot of people are like, what? And you know what's gonna happen to my family when my aunt comes? My uncle, a lot of girls are like, my uncle's gonna come and try to give me a hug, especially the Bukharians and Svardim, and they're like, my uncle's gonna come and I'm gonna like, Sherman Gia, my parents are gonna throw me out of the house. They're gonna throw me out of the house. They're gonna say like, you kiss your uncle now, man, right? I'm like, I can only teach you the halacha. I, I, what you do with the halacha is up to you, but that, that's a, you know, that's a halacha. Yeah. And, 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 whatever. There's a whole other subject, it's not for tonight. There's a whole, there's a whole other subject. Cause Lamaisa, I asked my Rebbe, I'll just tell you something really fast, whatever. It's my boy's shear and I'm not, I'm, my boy's shear is different than my girl's shear. So, so I, I, I dealt with some situations of fathers, you know, abusing their daughters physically. And, and, and according to the Shulchan Aruch, a father and daughter could sleep in a bed together. There's, they don't have that Yetzirah. A father and a daughter don't have that Yetzirah. A father doesn't have a Yetzirah for his, for his daughter. That's what it says. Maybe a brother and sister absolutely do. And, and one of the problems that the Jewish nation had with getting the Torah, one of the biggest problems was that before that they were Matet to marry their sisters. Shimon married Dina. Okay? Adam's children married their sisters. The Shrut, right? They were allowed to. One of the problems they had with the Torah was that they weren't allowed to marry their sisters. Because it's in the family, it's someone I know, it's someone that they were close to. So when the, the Torah came out and said, you're not allowed to marry, that was one of their biggest problems. So there's a Yetzirah for a brother and sister. We know that, and, he, and it's clear. So I don't have a question of how that happened, all the abuse that I'm dealing with, with brother and sister. I'm like, the Torah says it's such a Yetzirah, okay, fine. But a father and a daughter? 
What's up with that? And the Shulchan Aruch says straight up, they can sleep together in a bed, nothing's going to happen. So I went to Rabbi Gamliel in Eretz Yisrael, my Rabbi, and I said, I don't understand the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says that the nature of a father is that there's no Yetzirah for his daughter. So what's going on today? And I'm dealing with this father and that father and a grandfather, and I'm like, what the, what's, what happened? The, the, the Shulchan, I don't believe that anything changes. The Shulchan Aruch says that it's okay, that it's okay, and that's the nature. What happened? So my Rebbe said that, and I'm not going to get into the exact thing, but you'll understand, that the nature of Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? That nature was was broken, and when the Teva of the world was broken, then all Arias, all immorality and Arias changed. So where it wasn't in the world a father had to get to her for a daughter today, now is that luck that a father can't kiss his daughter? He can still kiss his daughter. Because the mindset that the Shulchan says he's not, you know, he's not chiba. It's not chiba, and, and a mother and a, and, a, and, a, and a mother and a son. But like all bets are off today. Well, it's, it's, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not normal. What's going on in the world is not normal. And 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 the more you bring the Yitzhar into the world, people are like freaking out about ISIS. I'm not surprised about ISIS. About cutting off people's heads and crucifying them and torturing them. Because evil, right? You open him a little door, and the door gets more bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So there was murder, and then there was rape, and then there was this, and then there was that. And now all of a sudden, there's thousands of thousands of people that are being. I mean, what these people are doing is not. I just I just saw yesterday in the news they said that there's sixty. There's a Tznia squad. So to say, of ISIS women that are armed, 60 of them, that are from ages 19 to like 25, with machine guns. And they go around in these villages, and any woman that's walking without a man, without someone walking with her, or if her wrist is just showing, they kill them. So they're in the name of Islam, in the name of Tzniyus, they are torturing and children and women and just murdering. And how did this come to the world? How did Ebola come to the world? What's Ebola? What is Ebola? What happens from Ebola? Person, a person bleeds out, diarrhea, all this. It's a disgusting disease. It's not stomach disease, it's not cancer. It's a disgusting, belittling. They, they, they die in their own feces. They die in their own duty. They, it, it, it's, it's such a terrible plague that's coming out of Africa. It's such a terrible plague. What is that? Why? You, you can't just listen to these things. And ISIS, and at the same time that they're chopping people up, there's this terrible disease coming into the world, killing tens of thousands of people. They're people in Africa. They're people. They have children. They have wives. They're, they're people. And you're dying in the streets in the most disgusting death. And there's a Mishnah in Pirkeos. Because it's all in the Torah. And the Mishnah says, beware. Beware. Listen to this. So I spoke in the mountains about this. I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't just look at the world and say, "What happened? Everything's here, man." Listen to this. Dever balaylam, plague. This is a plague. We haven't had a plague in the world in a long time. This is a plague, right? Dever balaylam, al misas hamuras b'teresh leinimsu lebezdin on the four arba misas of bezdin that no longer exists. So there's no way that. For it to go into the world, Al Peres on not keeping Shemitah, 
Okay? There are four times that plague becomes rampant. Ready? in Shemitah, and at the end of Shemitah. And then he bowled a star. In the Mishnah. It's Mishnah. Mishnah. Yud Aleph and Yud Beis in Parakeh. It, it happened! It happened in Shemitah! Ebola! No, it didn't just happen in Shemitah. No, it said it's going to happen in Shemitah. That's the year. Not the sixth year, not the first year, in Shemitah. And, 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 and. So, we have plague. We have ISIS. We have kids doing heroin. We have, we lost a Nebuchadnezzar Jewish boy they buried this Sunday who OD'd, right? We have suicide. The world is crumbling physically because the world is, is, is crumbling spiritually because the Zohar says, and I'm not picking any specific Avera, but the Zohar says that they're mirrors of each other. If the spiritual world will crumble, the physical world will crumble. And it's amazing that in the world that we have, what Hashem, what I, I was sitting up in the mountains, I had two weeks just to think, I love it. Right? Because I was up there, I, did, I, was, I stayed up there for simplest time. And, 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 and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about the world, and I'm thinking about, and I'm like, Hashem is trying to teach us something, us human, us human beings. We're very into technology, we're very into, we have everything under control. So what did God do? He took this plane, and he made it disappear. And we still don't know where it is. Satellites, cell phones, radar, everything. 300 people at a huge jumbo jet, gone. Nobody can find it. Hashem's like, hey, I still run this world. With all your technology, I can make 350 people just appear like this with your tracking and your submarines and your radar and your satellites that you can GPS to a house 50 miles in the woods and all that stuff. I can make a plane disappear. You, do people look at it that way? No. They're not even thinking about it anymore. Oh, medicine? Doctors, you're ahead of the curve. Give you a little germ out of, out, of, out of West Africa you can't do anything about. He's, right now he's having Rachman because, because there was an article that if it does spread, we could lose 10,000 people a, a week to, the, to Ebola. 10,000 people a week. And then the CBC, whatever they said, you could lose 100,000 a week. If this thing Hashem has Rachman right now. It's 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 not. He's keeping it where it is. I hope I hope I hope the human beings realize that it's a it's a virus. You know what a virus is? It's a teeny little cell. It's a teeny little virus. You can't cure a virus. You can't cure a cold. You can't cure a cold. If we get the lesson, he doesn't have to teach us lessons. But if we don't get the lesson. The world's bleeding out. It's either Ebola or it's ISIS. It's bleeding out. Well, the Syrians are killing who knows what. And the Russians are going into Turkey. Everyone's doing whatever they, whatever they, whatever they want to do. And, 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 yes, they, and until someone realizes that the spiritual world and the physical world are, are, are mirrors of each other and we don't, we don't spiritually lift ourselves and we continually go down, we continually go down, the world's gonna, gonna continually collapse. And it's collapsing. And there are people dying in in, 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 in the Himalayas and avalanches and, and volcanoes are erupting. And he's doing little things, little things, little things. Little earthquake, 
20 people died in an avalanche. Little things all over the world. I watched the news all over the world. Little things he's saying like human beings. Hello, I'm here. Nothing. Nothing. Nature. Ebola. Ebola is an old, old disease and it's back and we can't do anything. Nothing with all our science, with all our stuff. Guy came here. He died. Ten days in the best hospital, the best medicines. He died. They couldn't save him. They couldn't save him from a, from a virus. Because who runs the world? People don't see it. Anyway, little little current events. So so what what is love? So what what I what my picture of what a, what love is, and and I'll prove it to you with a mission, and then we'll end. Love means. That I'm, I used to say it means, that it means sacrifice and commitment, but I was wrong. Sacrifice is not enough. Now, where was my mistake? Because Hashem wanted Avraham Avinu to prove his ultimate love. So he gave him ten tests. So the last test was the hardest test, to prove his love. What was the last test? Sacrificing. Yeah, but that wasn't the test. And Rav Shem Shem Pinkus has a nerdy to share on this. Because, because the one that would have suffered from Akedah Yitzchak, Guys, was not Yitzchak. No, was Avram. Because Yitzchak would have died in a second. Goodbye, he's in Gan Eden. Avram would have walked around his whole life. I killed my only son. It, it would have been torture. It would have been torture. I killed my only son. He wouldn't be able to live with himself. I was going to tell Sarah. People are going to say, you, you, you're just as bad as Molech. You, you killed your only son. He, he, right? so, so he was willing to sacrifice himself. For Hashem. That's the ultimate love. No. No, because if my wife wants to go shopping on Sunday and I want to watch a giant game, and I'm like, okay, I'll give up my giant game. I'm sacrificing my giant game, which I love, for you. We're going to go to Bloomingdale's, right? And we go to Bloomingdale's, and my feeling the whole time is like, you know what I did for you? You know, you know, like we, men are, Jewish men are very good businessmen because we're always making a deal. So we're thinking in our head, I hope she buys a dress and it's a successful trip because then next Sunday she's gonna, she's not, I'm, I gave you one, now I get one. Next Sunday I go to football. In fact, you're gonna go with me to the giant game. And you're gonna sit there in the cold with fat guys behind you belching, <laughs> drinking beer, with a bunch of guys with giants on their big bellies in blue, right? And you're gonna sit there because I went shopping for five hours, you're gonna go giant game for five hours. Right? That's Jewish. You give me one, I give you one. That's why we're good businessmen. We make deals, because we have to. Otherwise we can't be married, right? So we have to make deals, right? So, that's not love. But it's sacrifice. I gave up my football game. From Avinu, after Hashem said, okay, I, know, I believe you now, you're about to kill your son, go home, it's over. He turned, and he said, nah, nah, I can't. I, I have to show you that I love you. And by not killing my son, right? I'm not showing you that I love you. I was willing to. So I have to give you something. I need to give you something. I love you, Hashem. So he looked. Hashem, he looked for the aisle. He turned around. And he found the ram that was caught. And he brought up as a carbon. Now that has nothing to do with... That, that wasn't a test. The aisle wasn't a test. But on Rosh Hashanah, what do you, what do, you do? You blow the shofar. To remind Hashem of the eye of, of Akedah Yitzchak. Why do you do that? Why don't you take the gabai, tie him up, put him on the bima, take a big fat knife, and he's about and right in front of all the kids, and like, I am now going to sacrifice you to God. And the rabbi screams out, Moshe, what are the guy's name is? Moshe, stop! And everyone's like, wow, great scene.
You know, okay, that's Yitzchak. Why are you blowing the horn? The horn had nothing. The horn was from an animal that he brought as a carbon. That wasn't a test to bring an animal as a carbon. Why are you blowing the horn? And the answer is that the horn proves that he loved Hashem. Hashem said, go home, you did it. He's like, no. I love somebody, I still got to give you, I gave you nothing. At the end of the day, I passed the test, but I gave you nothing. That was a mistake the first time I gave this year. I said to my, and I said to my wife that I always thought that love was sacrifice, and she goes, I don't like that word. You know, like, you, you don't go home to say, I really want to sacrifice you. Well, right? It's an interesting joke, because you, what do you tell the girl when you get married to her, and you put on the ring? You say, Harry Atmakudeshesli, right? You make her holy like a carbon. Right? So like, she's a sacrifice. By the way, the first time you let her touch a girl is when you put that ring on her finger, which I think is amazing. First time that a Jewish man is allowed to touch a girl, so we got into the, the father-sister business, the first time he touches a woman's, a girl, Jewish girl's hand or body or any part, is when he touches it, he puts the ring on her finger, the first touch is, is, is that touch. And he says, when he touches her, he makes a statement, Hare Atmakudeshesli, you should always know that you're very holy to me. That's so beats messing around with each other for five months before you get married. The first time you touched her hand is when you committed to her. And you're telling her, I'm touching you, and I'm telling you you're holy at the same time. I don't think the people are not Shemini Gia, that's what they tell them. Hey, by the way, let's get holy. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that's what happens. So, it's godless. I think about that. I think about the Chacham and the light. The first time, first of all, for her, the first time he touches her, he's committing for life, so he's not playing games. And for him, he's like, hurry up, look It's amazing. The first time you touch a girl's hand should be when you put the ring on her finger. It's godless. How have I that more people would have that being that being the first time? Okay, anyway, so 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 let's go back to the football game. So now there's two ways of guys that are married here know exactly what I'm talking about. Guys who are single should know what I'm talking about. So there's two ways coming out of Bloomingdale's, right? One is, you know, you know what I did for you today. You know, I gave up my football game. I mean, I wasn't easy. I mean, I love you and I, and, and I do these things for you, but you know, you sort of owe me one. Or totally be miserable, like, okay, let's go home and like, I can't believe I missed that game. It was the best game with overtime, and she's sitting there like, oh great, now I feel bad that we went shopping. And we've heard that many times, and we've done that to our wives many times. What is love? Love is that when I see her happy in Bloomingdale's, even though she didn't buy anything and wasn't successful, but I see that my wife is happy, I'm happy. I didn't sacrifice anything for her. She doesn't owe me anything. I am happy because the person that I love, that I'm with, is happy. And that's what makes me happy. That's that's the real sacrifice. Sacrificing yourself is not walking around, oh, look what I did for you, I'm miserable. No, that's not what Avramavinu did. Sacrifice in a marriage, in love, in, in that emotion, is that my emotion became happy and loving you because you're happy. My whole Watson, my whole who I am, my whole my whole willpower changed. I'm not thinking about the football game. Look at her, my, my girl. She's smiling. She didn't buy nothing. She tried on 20 dresses. It doesn't make a difference. She's walking out of the store and saying, like, I, I had a great day. And you're like, you know what? I had a great day, too. But you lost, but you missed your football game, Chaim. Who cares about my stupid football game? You're happy, I'm happy. And then guess what? When she goes to the football game, in a, in a good marriage, when she goes to the football game and she's sitting there, everyone's belching and drinking beer, and it's 20 degrees below zero, and you have all these mushugam with your funny hats, 
with the beer coming from their hands into their mouth, right? And they're chanting and they're burping and and she's walking through the the car lot and they're they're, they're frying ham and and, and 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 all this garbage, right? And she's like, ugh, I hate that smell, right? Instead, she sits there by the game and her husband is watching this giant game, right? Which Unless you're sitting on the field, you really can't see what's going on. It's the crazy thing about it is everyone goes to the game, they bring a little TV. If you really watch the game, they need the TV because you can't really see. You're like, who has the ball? Right? They're all piled up. You can't see unless you have binoculars. So they all go into the game to sit in the cold. It's all psych. To watch the game on their TV. Why don't you sit home and watch the game? Right? Well, whatever. That's part of the game. 60,000 people roaring, right? And she's sitting there. And she's miserable. She's shaking. And she's miserable. And she looks at her husband, right, Chaim. And he's sitting there. He's like, come on, giant! You can do it! And she's looking at her, her husband. Who, and he's totally nuts. Because for a girl, a bunch of men throwing each other on the floor. Like, <laughs> why, don't you just, why, why don't you just watch wrestling? Like, what are you doing, right? Or throwing this thing across the field or kicking it like a girl, you know, between two posts. To them, it's like total Michigas, right? Um, and she's sitting there and she sees her husband. He's so excited and he's yelling, go Giants, right? And she's just sitting there smiling in the cold and everything. She's like, my child's happy. I'm happy, I'm happy. That's love. That's L-O-V. She's freezing, she's sacrificing her day. She's sacrificing what she believes in. She doesn't like violence. Doesn't like guys beating each other up. And everyone's screaming for blood. You know, going to a hockey game, everyone's like, they're beating each other up. The gloves are off. There's blood on the ice. And the guys are screaming, yeah! And the girls are like, oh my God, right? And, and they're happy. And they're like, great hockey game. That was Avram Avinu. He, he, he it, it wasn't like, look what I did for you, Hashem. Look what I gave up for you, Hashem. It's like, come on! I didn't give up anything. Give me something else to give up. That's love. That was the final test. After that, it was done. That's Leif Tov. Leif Tov is, not only in a marriage, Leif Tov is, my friend, you know what? He's 100% wrong, and I know that he's wrong. I'm 100% right. Now, I could sit here and argue, and in the end, I will prove to him that I'm right, right? But at the end, if I prove to him that I'm right, how's he going to feel? He's going to feel that he was wrong. He's going to feel miserable. He's not going to feel happy. So, you know what? I really like him, and we're really close. And we say, you know what? Even though I know that I'm, I really do know for sure that I'm right, and we say, you know what? I think that you're right. I'm really sorry. And you just go, really? Yeah, because I really want him to be happy. So if I have to give up on who I am and what I am to make him happy, that means I love him. That means I love him. That means I really care about him. If I have to be right at the end of the argument, I don't love you. I have to prove who I am. But you're miserable. If you're miserable, I'm miserable. If you're happy, I'm happy. That is relationship. And that is the relationship that we're supposed to have with Hashem. And that's the Leif Tov. And that, if you have that, you're going to have the best friends in the world. People are going to wait. You want to be, you're going to be in the best neighborhood. You're only going to see the good in people because seeing the bad is, is, is going to do the opposite to you. It's going to do the opposite to you. So you're only going to see the good in people. And you're going to be able to see a royal and You're going to see the consequence. The consequence of me winning this fight and proving that I'm right is I'm going to make that person miserable. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell him he's right, even though he's wrong. Big deal. The world is not going to change. Not going to change the world. So there's a Mishnah, and that's it. We're finished. And the Mishnah, the Mishnah and it happens to be every morning I learn a Mishnah, just just random. I put my finger in wherever it lands. Usually something that day happens that I, that, I, that, that the Mishnah helps me. And the Mishnah says. Uh, I don't think it's in the first parak. Give me two seconds. I hate not to. Um, I'll find it in a second. 
Not in the second parrot. Make his will your will. It's here, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Well, I'll tell it to you by heart. I thought it's here. Not the fifth parrot. Huh? You think it's in the f- fifth parrot? It sounds like this. I'd say with saying ha. I'd say with so no with saying ha. Make his will your will. That your will, that his will will become your will. Break what? The second parrot. Break your will. Break your will. Before his will, break your will for Hashem's will, and he'll break other people's will that want to do bad things to you. You think it's Perry Bay's what? Oh, thank you. Very good. Who are you, Aimer? Ragamliel said, I say with Tsono Kirtsonecha, make Hashem's will like your will. If you do that, then then your will will become his will. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is he saying here? He's saying that true love and a true relationship with God is that that not that, you, that that His will will become your will. In other words, that my wife, when shopping, I'm not sacrificing like she wanted to go shopping. I wanted to watch football. I gave in for her shopping. No, the mission says it has to become that I want her. I want to go shopping with her so much that I want to go shopping. Why do I want to go shopping with her? I don't like shopping because I want her to be happy. So that, so that my will and Hashem's will is the same will. Not that I'm walking around like, Hashem, I did this, I did this, Mitzvah, you owe me, you owe me. No, we're one. It's, it's, that, that my will is, and that's what Abraham was, that my will is your will. Not that I'm giving up something to do, to do the Torah. I'm not giving up anything. I'm not giving up a day of football to go shopping with you. Because then, because then you owe me. No. The ultimate love relationship is, no, I love seeing you happy. I want to make Hashem happy. I want to make the, the, the Lord of the world, the creator of the world, who did everything for me, I want to make him happy. Not that, well, look what I did for you, Hashem, so now you got to give me Ganev and you owe me something. And the Mishnah ends, if you want to do something wrong, break it for his Because if you do that, then when other people want to do you wrong, he'll break, he'll, he'll, he'll break that Mida. That's Ahava. That's the true ultimate love. The true ultimate love is not sacrificing for my wife. Look what I gave up, but just the opposite. She's happy, I gave up nothing. I didn't give up anything. I didn't give up a football game. Just the opposite. The football game is stupid compared to her smiling and being happy. So I didn't give up anything. At the end of the day, you're going to weigh it, I didn't give up anything. Because at the end of the day, she's happy. And she has to feel the same way. That she has to go shop with her friends or go to some whatever. And she went to a football game not to feel like, oh my gosh, I gave up what I wanted to do. I gave up nothing. I had the best day of my life. My husband was screaming like a maniac. He had a good time. The guy works hard. He's under a lot of pressure. I haven't seen him smile and yell like that in 10 years. I'm so happy. That's love. That's Ava. That's the ultimate. That's a Baikh Ava. That's what I have to when you say Kriya Shema at night. That's the Ahava. That's the Ava that Hashem has for us. And that's the Ava that we have to have for Hashem. I want to end with a line from Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I don't know if he was Jewish. <laughs> Listen to this about being positive. 
Okay? And he said the following. I think every week I'm going to have one of these because I found a bunch of them. I had nothing to do for it 12, two weeks. What can I do? Listen, this is David. We can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. God bless. Good night, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.